Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Linda Frasetto. She's a professor emeritus of medicine in the Division of Nephrology at University of California, San Francisco. So we're going to talk about uh, her work or her past work at least. So Linda, thanks for coming. Well, thanks for inviting me. I super appreciate it. So you emeritus just from professorship or uh, you're like totally retired? So I am retired from the university, but back on recall. So I'm still working, but not as much as I was before, which is really great because it gives me more of a chance to do things like work with students and work on manuscripts and not have to work every single day. So it gives me more flexibility, which is terrific. Very good. Okay. What's your current work about? What are you focusing on? So um, part of the time, I actually still take care of nephrology patients. And then I do, I work with a couple of different research groups. I work with Shuva Roy and Bill Fissell at Vanderbilt, um, who are working on the Kidney X project, trying to design um, a bioartificial kidney, which is super amazing and super cutting edge and just totally terrific. Definitely a paradigm shift in terms of what we can do when we dialyze people. They're developing a a system that can be implanted internally that not only filters the blood like present dialyzers do, but also has renal tubular cells in it. So it can do some of the other things that the kidneys normally do, but that dialysis today doesn't do. So it will really make a difference in terms of how well can we clear the poisons from the bloodstream when when we you know when people have kidneys that don't work and they need to be on dialysis? So that's probably the most exciting research I do. Yeah, it is. So what happens in dialysis? What what functions does the kidney normally do, and which subset of those functions does dialysis do? Yeah. So you can really think of it as the blood comes into the kidney and it goes through a filtration system. And that's what we can do today with dialysis. So we can run your blood through the dialysis machine and um, part of it is a big filter and it allows us to filter stuff out. And so that's the doable part. But the not so doable part is the part where the now the fluid that's been filtered, it goes through kidney tubules and it responds to chemical signals from the body. So it says reabsorb water or reabsorb salt or reabsorb potassium or get rid of phosphorus or get rid of urea or get rid of creatinine. All these things that build up in the body, get rid of acid, that build up in the body that cause of the problems that when you say somebody has advanced kidney failure and and there's all these problems because of it, it's because of the buildup of these poisons. So we can get rid of those, but we can't respond to the feedback systems from the body. And those are a much more precise way of trying to make sure that you have exactly how much water you need and exactly how much salt and exactly how much potassium. And so, 
you know, if you say, you know, what does dialysis, present-day dialysis do? I mean, it keeps you alive. But if we were able to do these other things, we'd be able to actually really make you feel much better and we would be doing a much better job of trying to get your body's water and chemistry and acid levels where they really should be. And so that is, I mean, other than putting in a transplanted kidney, and of course the problem is that there aren't enough transplanted kidneys to go around, then, you know, this is really, you know, the step in between present-day dialysis and trying to get a, a real transplanted kidney. Yeah, how, do, how do they know in dialysis what levels to set all your electrolytes and how much water to leave or to put back? How do they know all this? Well, we do blood tests so that we can find that out and we can look at you um, and see how much you know, try to get an idea of how much fluid is in your system and we monitor your blood pressure and your heart rate and we monitor your weights. Um, we have a whole system that's been developed to try to come up with a pretty good guess of, you know, what you need. But, you know, if for hemodialysis, for example, it's done for, let's say, three hours, three times a week. So you come in on, let's say, Monday morning and you haven't had any dialysis since you got off on Friday night so or Friday morning. So since then, you know, during the treatment, all the levels of everything go down. But then in between treatments, all the levels start to go back up again. So it goes up and then it quickly goes down and then it goes up and then it quickly goes down and then it goes up and it quickly goes down. So that's okay. That's what we do. But that's not the optimal treatment. I mean, the optimal treatment is what your kidneys normally do, which is that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're constantly filtering the system so that you're not going up and down and up and down and up and down. And that up and down is not so good for you. Oh, so, okay. So it's a lot more stable naturally, obviously. It's continuous. Yeah. How much of a strain does that put on the body to have this, uh, you know, this slow poisoning and then fixing of it, slow poisoning and fixing? Well, that's in fact is the whole big deal is that it puts a lot of strain on the body. And remember that most of the time, the people who are on dialysis are on dialysis because they have a bunch of other medical problems. So high blood pressure or diabetes um, or heart disease. And so all of these things, having, you know, your blood pressures go up and then down and up and down, that's not particularly good if you have bad heart. It's not particularly good for your blood pressure either to go up and down and up and down. And many of the people that we have on dialysis have all of these things. Like it's not like they have one. They're older and they've had damage to their blood vessels for decades because of high blood pressure and diabetes. And the damage to the blood vessels is so bad that now the kidneys don't work anymore. But that doesn't mean that the blood vessels in the heart or in the brain look any better. So it's really, I mean, it's what we can do, um, but it's certainly, and, and we can keep you alive, but it's certainly not the best treatment we could possibly do. And so this artificial kidney, which would be implanted, um, it might not work as well as like normal healthy kidneys do, but it wouldn't be as bad as dialysis. For one thing, it would be continuous. So that's always really good. Well, when you do an implant though, I mean, you have to be immunosuppressed forever, right? Well, if we transplant you, you know, if we put in a living tissue, then the answer is yes, you would need to be immunosuppressed. 
But the guys who developed this, Shiva Roy and Bill Fissell, who have been doing this now for decades, one of the engineering breakthroughs that they made on that they did, which is really something that has allowed this project to go forward, is that they came up with an immunologic barrier that would allow the fluids to go through, but not the immune response of the body. So with their particular system, the body is the artificial part, the bioartificial part is protected from the body's responses. Oh, yeah. It really is interesting because the only other person to do this who is David Humes, who's been working on this for a long time and about 20 years ago now, he had an, an artificial kidney system that they used in like in the intensive care unit when we needed when you needed dialysis because your kidneys had shut down because of why you were in the ICU. He didn't have the same barrier. And so the system worked really well for like 8 or 12 hours. And then the body's immune system kicked in and then shut down the system. And so that was one of the problems with the system that he developed. It's not that the concept didn't work. It was that without the protection against the immune system, then it, you know, the, it attacks the cells and it attacks the, the blood flow and then everything clots off. So what would this implant look like? Would it replace a whole kidney or would you put this special barrier like the inlet of a transplant? Right. So right now we put um, transplanted kidneys in the pelvis. And so they're designing this to be small enough so that it would be more or less about transplant kidney size and it would go in the same area and would be attached to the blood vessels and then would have a tube that would go and be attached to the bladder. So, you know, just like in a regular kidney, the blood flow would go into the system and then the urine would flow out of it. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. But again, so this is an implant instead of a transplant, or would it also yes, work with a transplant? Right. No, because a transplant would presumably work even better. You need the immunosuppression, so why not use the filtration mechanism they've come up with, you know, that filters out, you know, maybe put it on the outlet of a transplanted kidney so that maybe that would provide it some more, maybe require less immune suppression, maybe it would make it last longer. No. So a transplanted kidney that works really well, pretty much you have about, oh, I'm going to say about 70% of normal kidney function. With the bioartificial kidney, they're hoping to get about 30% of normal kidney function. So a transplanted kidney that works generally is going to work better. I mean, this is definitely a trade-off. I mean, no two ways about it. The trade-off is you have a better working kidney, but you have to take immunosuppression. Or a kidney that doesn't work 
work quite so well, but you don't need immunosuppression. There's good, I mean, there's, this is definitely a, a risk benefit thing where you say, well, you know, which would I rather have? And you could make an argument that, you know, maybe in older people, a bioartificial kidney would be better. And maybe in younger people where you would prefer them to have, you know, more kidney function to so that they stay healthier, maybe, you know, we would prefer to put transplanted kidneys into younger people. I mean, you, you could make an argument depending. It was just 30% per implant. And if so, why not do two implants or three? Well, so one, there are some actual surgical technical reasons not to do that. There's only two sides that we can use, the right side and the left side. And so it's not 100% clear that we would want to keep operating on one side. So you know, and there's not enough space to put in just two on one side. This It's too large. And it's not 100% clear that you'd want to put in a second one right away um, because if you use up the blood vessels on the other side, then maybe you don't have any options left. So, you know, again, all of this is will depend a lot on how the system actually works when we're able to implant them into people. So what are some of the, uh, you know, the current challenges with this uh this artificial kidney, what's what's to work on now? So right now we're trying to get FDA approval for first in human studies so that we can we've been, it's been tested in large animals and now we need to test it in people. Oh, okay. Well So so we're actually literally waiting for the FDA to give us the go ahead. Yeah, what would the uh the test look like? You would actually uh you'd you'd implant people and, and monitor them or is it there's a is there a step that comes before that Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. But the answer to that one is yes. First, we're testing the system externally. So we're going to test it in people who are already on dialysis, only instead of using the regular dialysis filter, we're going to use our filter um, and see how, you know, see how well it works in, in people who are already on dialysis. But just this is an external test. And then once we see how well that works, and to give you an idea, like if you've been following the vaccine trials, you know, first they said it was like phase one and then phase two and phase three. That's an important thing in um, how the FDA decides whether or not something is you know, can be okayed for use in people. So we're not even at phase one. We're like before phase one. So before phase one is first in human. So that's just to see, you know, make sure that it's safe to use. And then once we've passed that test, and there are very, very, very strict requirements that we have to do in order to be able to even go from one subject to the next subject in first in human trials, um, then we would come up with a second set of studies where we would look to see how well the system is actually functioning, like how much are we able to actually clear from the body when we talk about clearing these poisons from the body. And then once we do that, then once we'd we'd actually have to like put it in somebody and we'd have to see if that works. And again, when we do that, then we have to like actually operate on the person and then we have to make sure that there's no complications from the surgery. Then we have to make sure that the system works. So you can see this is a really, really very complicated and labor-intensive system, and we're just at the very beginning of testing it in people. And the FDA has a lot of requirements for doing these kinds of engineering and medical devices together. 
If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they do. Even when it is successful, though, I mean, it's a foreign material, this implant or multiple foreign materials. I would think the body would try to encase it in all kinds of, uh, you know, its own material, try to form. Right. Absolutely, positively, yes. And so that's one of the things that was that was tested in the animal studies to make sure that you didn't have that kind of reaction. Absolutely, positively. You know, so first they did, they tested them in rats, and then they tested the material in dogs, and then they actually tested the entire system in a series of pigs. So yes, I mean, it, the part to make sure that there isn't a bad reaction, those are all the animal tests that have already been done. I mean, wouldn't you still need some immunosuppression? Or, uh, you know, I don't know if this happens, for instance, with pacemakers, or you just get this accumulation of a material around the device and eventually you have to go in and clean it or replace it or, you know, like, what are the dynamics of that? So right now the system is designed to be modular meaning that we should be able to go in and like, let's say we have a problem with the filter. Um, hopefully we'd be able to just take out that module and put another filter module in. Or if we have a problem with the tubular cells not working, we could take out the module with the tubular cells and put the tubular cells in. But part of the thing that needs to be worked on is, you know, that's the whole point is you don't want to have to keep going in and reoperating on people. So you have to design a system that hopefully will work for, let's say, six months or a year without requiring additional help. That's actually all part of the testing. Oh, six months or a year or multiple years? I would think you'd want it to work for a very long time. Well, possible. you would, but I mean, I'm going to say that this has never been done before. And so we're trying to say, you know, what's the least amount of time that we think would be reasonable to actually have this function? Yes, in the best of all possible worlds, you'd want it to last for a long time. Well, with transplants, is there a metric that, you know, the transplant in order to be approved, it has to be able to, you know, work with the body for at least six months or, you know, are there any, I'm right. sure there's so what, when, when we transplant a living kidney, it used to be back when I was in training like 30 years ago that that transplanted kidney would last maybe eight or nine years on average. Um, and then it would fail and then you'd need another transplant. Right now on average, a transplanted kidney lasts maybe 15 or 16 years, although that's on average. So some people had kidneys transplants 30 years ago and they're working great. And then other people have kidney transplants and they failed in a year and a half. On average right now, transplanted kidneys, you know, last about 15 or 16 years. But the problem is that there hasn't been a big increase in the number of um, kidneys transplanted in decades, whereas every year the number of people on the waiting list to get a transplant goes up and up and up. So the problem is that there's a huge gap between the number of people who, who are on dialysis or who have very advanced kidney failure and are about to be on dialysis compared to the people that were actually that we have the kidneys to transplant. Yeah, how much, what's that difference like how many uh, thousands or hundreds of thousands? Hundreds of thousands actually. Huh. Yeah, I know some people are trying to use uh, up and up. pig organs, you know, uh, pig kidneys and xenotransplants right. and stuff. So that's like. that's even more complicated because now at least when you use human kidneys like there aren't, 
I'm going to use the word antigens, which are molecules on the surface of the cells or on the surface of the blood vessels or exposed to the rest of the body. Like they're all human, okay? But if you put in a pig kidney, I mean, pigs might look an awful lot like us, but there are even more of these proteins and other molecules that are not us. Um, And so even more targets for the immune system to react to. Um, So you would need even more or better immunosuppression for xenotransplant. Um, So it's, it's, It is something that they're trying to do, but it is more complicated. And the problem with immunosuppression is that's just it. We're suppressing your immune system. And so that means that you're more likely to get infections and cancers and heart disease and a variety of different things. Um, So long-term immunosuppression has other problems. Okay. I mean, this is definitely a balance thing. This is where you, you know, you want to try to weigh the good versus the bad and say, you know, like how much can I give you so that it's more or less under control as compared to, you know, too much, like this is definitely like Goldilocks, you know, this one's too hot and this one's too cold and this one's just right. Um, mm. So that's that's really where, where you have to be with immunosuppression, too little and the body rejects the organ too much and you die from over immunosuppression. So, you know, you have to have just the right amount. So like with xeno, um, in, in xenotransplantation, if we have to give more immunosuppression, well, maybe the organ might work, but you'd be really sick. So that's not very good either. I mean, it's a, it's a very fine balance. Um, and hopefully the, you know, the bioartificial kidney, because we think that we have a pretty good immunologic barrier we're hoping that we don't need to give any immunosuppression. And it's engineered to try to prevent some of the other problems that you can get, like blood clots, for example. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like it's still, I mean, what's your guess, 15, 20 years away or perhaps less? I'm going to say five to 10. I think that I mean, these guys actually just won a very big Kidney X Prize, one of the six awarded by um, the government and the American Society of Nephrology in order to be able to move ahead with the development of this project. So, I mean, I'm really very optimistic that we're going to be able to do this (laughs) as soon as the FDA says, you know, yes, you can, because we can't do anything until we get that approval. Right. Is it two individuals or is it a company or is it an organization that has uh, gotten it this far? What are they called? Right. It's really a combination of things. So um, Bill and Sh- Bill Fissell and Shuvo Roy are the are the engineers who have been working on this for a long time. And Bill used to work with the guy that I told you about before, David Humes, um, who had developed the, the original artificial kidney, um, the one that shut down after a couple of hours. So they're working with, they do have a company. Um, they work at UCSF and the funding that they have is they're on one of the fast track programs um, through the FDA. So it's a kind of like a, a combined government, university and private corporation conglomerate um, to try to get this done. 
as are, in fact, um, most of the, the very, there are a couple of groups in the world who are working on this, and it's all the same kind of thing. Like in, there's one in Japan, and there's one in um, Europe, and there's two or three in the United States. So it's, a, it's always a combination because this is such a difficult thing to do. Okay, I got you. Well, very good. Uh, Linda, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on this project that's very, very important? Um, where can they go? So if they go to the main UCSF website, www.ucsf.edu, and they type in bio-artificial kidney, or they type in Shuvo-Roy, which is S-H-U-V-O-R-O-Y, um, they'll get hooked up to um, the website that UCSF has, and there's, um, there's a whole bunch of pages that they have that talk about what they're doing. Very good. Well, Linda, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, no, you know, thank you for asking me. I mean, I actually think this is one of the most exciting things that I've worked on in a long time. So, um, yeah. and I really appreciate being able to talk to your um, listeners about it. So thanks. Yeah, well, hundreds of thousands of people need it. So yeah, it's a huge, huge deal. So It's yeah. a huge, huge deal. That's exactly right. We hope to be able to you know, do a much better job than present-day dialysis does. I mean, there's something like 700,000 people on dialysis in the United States, and the number keeps going up and up. So, you know, it, it's really something that we really hope to be able to, like, make a difference in people's lives by doing this. Mm. Well, very good. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.